each of us bowing and praying in our own minds, Lord, we pray that what happens as we continue in this worship is that we hear words and word, the word, your word, that will transform us to be the boys and girls, the men and women that you're calling us to be. Speak in your church, O Lord, not only in this building, but up and down the street and all around your world. Speak to your church. We pray in the name of the living word, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. There are two kinds of people in the world. There are those who divide the world into two kinds of people, and then there are those who don't. Lewis Miller told me that there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those who take information and do not complete their thought. And that's the end of it. Um, (laughs) Jesus suggests that there are two kinds of people. There are people who are hungry and there are people who are full. There are people who are poor and people who are rich, those who weep and those who are happy, or in today's passage, those who judge and those who do not, those who are gracious and those who are condemning, those who are blind and those who have the capacity to see, those who are critical and those who are gracious. There's good fruit and there's bad fruit. There's houses built on rock and houses built on sand. There's this, there's that. There's A and B. There's good and bad. There's goofus and gallant. Some of us old timers remember goofus and gallant. The cartoons in the highlights magazine when you went to the doctor or dentist that they would have out there for you to read in hopes that you might forget why you're there. Little games and stories, and every month in highlights, another edition of Goofus and Gallant. These two brothers, uh, one who always did what he was supposed to, and the other who was always rude and snarky and, and selfish. And as a kid, I thought, well, it's the parents' fault. I mean, they're the ones who named them Goofus and Gallant. What did they expect? David Cassidy says that people see and experience the world differently because of our worldview. A worldview is the lens through which you see the world, interpret the world, approach different events in life. And in his um, thinking through these ideas, he's written a book called The Knight and the Gardener. The Knight with Armor and the Gardener. Knights see the world as a battlefield between divine evil and demonic, divine good and demonic evil. They are those who go out to slay the dragon of evil. Anything outside of their faith, superstructure, is evil. So their calling is to this crusade, to slay the dragons of culture and morality and spirituality and politics. Knights like to categorize people as allies or enemies. They see the situation as a kind of zero-sum game. Any combative or competitive endeavor, that's a knight's endeavor. On the other hand, there are those that 
Cassidy labels as gardeners. Gardeners see all people and all things as part of the growth of a single cosmos-spanning garden. A single garden that can flourish further if aided by well-meaning and inspired people like you and me. The primary call of a gardener is to cultivate this gardener garden through planning and nurturing and transforming discoveries and innovation. It's a work in progress. Nights are rule-based. Any deviation from the rule, any stepping outside the bounds is a threat to their particular system that they have been called upon to guard. And so we keep the rules. That's how we maintain our integrity, by keeping the rules. Gardeners resist threats to the harmony and unity of the garden, but they still see everything working together ultimately in this single garden. In religion, knights are those who believe that God is the supreme divine authority who requires courage and moral champions to push the cause forward. A Christian knight would spread the gospel to save people from the consequences of their sin and to eradicate immorality in the world. Religious knights pursue absolute truth in order to ensure that their crusade is on firm ground. They have to be certain, no doubt, no sense of mystery, because they are going to sacrifice themselves in the cause of righteousness. So no ambiguity, no questions. Religious gardeners see God as that creative force, that imagination and divine spark that makes the world work. Gardeners have to have this divine spark in themselves, and then they spread the gospel, which for them is restoring broken relationships and helping broken people find their lives again so that they can join again this ongoing creation process to awaken other people to their role in the garden. And so for gardeners, religion includes mystery to ensure that the garden grows from a vision that's bigger than their own and that has compassion greater than their own and fertility greater than their own. Knights ask What evil needs to be defeated and eradicated so that the world can self-correct once again? Gardeners ask, what needs to be built? What needs to be planted? What needs to be cultivated and nurtured to prevent the conflict that might threaten our garden? Then Cassidy states what you and I may consider to be obvious. That these categories are not two distinct groups. We couldn't say to you today, okay, all the gardeners sit to my left and all the knights sit to my right. But rather that these two worldviews in many ways cuts through the center of each and every one of us. That there is a sense in which we're all at times, the night, and at other times, we're 
the gardener. There may be one or the other that we lean toward based on our own choices and habits and upbringing, our own religious experience and education. But that essentially it's within us. As a little boy, I could notice that Goofus and Gallant, despite the scowl on one boy's face and the fact that he was always disheveled, that these two boys were identical twins. And it just occurred to me in thinking all these years later about Goofus and Gallant that perhaps the artist was suggesting that they're the same person. That Goofus and Gallant are each one of us. So there are times in our lives where we feel like the work of the night is required. Clear judgment, unequivocal, unquestioning, unbending courage is the order of the day. But I would suggest to you this morning, despite the fact that sometimes our world calls on us to play the role of the night, that in fact the world has been designed and bent toward a garden of extravagance and fertility and nourishment and forgiveness and grace. So when in the fullness of time Jesus comes into this world to reveal the heart of God, which is what this epiphany season is all about, he comes healing people. He comes restoring relationships. He comes telling us to love our enemies, to love our enemies, to see in them the image of God, to look toward that which connects us, not what divides us, to believe in their sacredness and the truth that ultimately we're all connected together. So don't judge, don't condemn. Don't withhold forgiveness, but be generous. Give, and it will be given to you. He's not talking about some kind of spiritual karma here. I give, I receive, tit for tat. Rather, he's saying we're all connected. And when I give to you, I'm giving, in essence, to myself and to this garden that we're called upon to nurture together. Jesus says, would the blind lead the blind? If people can't see the very nature of God, that God is generous and forgiving and gracious, they can't lead other people to God. This is the difference between nights And gardeners, knights find fault. They see problems. They identify evil. They see what they perceive to be a mistake in you, the speck in your eye, while failing to see the log that is in their own. The gardener, on the other hand, sees the speck, but recognizes that we're called to take the log out of our own eye so that together we can work on the speck that is in yours. I think it's worth noting that the only people that Jesus ever seriously opposed were the Pharisees, the religious people. The Pharisees were knights on steroids. Their mission was to oppose other, to maintain the integrity of the tradition that had been handed down to them, but in some way, in some place along the way, 
they lost their way. And we know today that there are modern Pharisees who bastardize Jesus' message and spirit and turn it into a battle. But here's what I notice about Jesus. He may oppose them, but he never breaks relationship with them. You notice how often Jesus is in dialogue with the Pharisees? He never gives up on them. Jesus, the great gardener, gives us this image. So be good trees. Bear good fruit that nourishes and helps the world. Be the good person who out of the treasure of the heart produces that which is good. There's a football game later today, you may have heard. The Courier-Journal ran a story, a great gardening story, about someone from Louisville who's actually going to be playing in the game. His name is C.J. Spillman. He's a defensive back for the 49ers. He went to Central High School here in Louisville back in the early 2000s. Apparently, he was a pretty bad student. The kind who skipped class a lot, didn't turn in homework. When test times, when tests were turned in, his would often come in without anything on it. Some of the faculty at Central began to lose faith in CJ, even though he was a phenomenal athlete. There was a group of teachers there who refused to give up on him, who began to push him and encourage him and prod him. One teacher, one administrator said, I would actually take C.J. to class, make sure he was in his chair. And five minutes before the bell would ring to announce the end of class, I'd go back and stand outside the door, and I'd be there waiting for him to make sure he got to his next class. C.J. said she would call me if I tried to skip school and stay home and sleep. I'd be asleep at home, and she'd call and show up at my house and make me go to school. Tending to the garden. The story ends with this man not only being, having made it through high school and Marshall University and now playing in the Super Bowl, the story was about how now he's giving back to the community and how it's one of his greatest joys. Given it will be given to you a good measure, shaken down together. Generosity begets generosity. Finally, Jesus says, don't do this. Don't, don't, don't just talk about me. I thought of this as we sang uh, the, the old hymn, I love thee. I love thee, I love thee, I love thee, I love thee. But how much I love thee, my actions will show. Don't just say, Lord, Lord. But do what I said. Create this garden. Build your life here, this sure foundation of love, which is the gardener, Jesus Christ. I don't think it's a coincidence that the story of the human family begins in the book of Genesis in a garden. Nor do I think it's a coincidence that at the end of the Gospel of John, When Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb that Easter morning and finds it empty, and she weeps, thinking they've taken away the body of her Lord, someone speaks to her 
woman, why are you weeping? And she turns and she thinks it's a gardener. And it turns out to be Jesus. Who in the end really is a knight because he's victorious. His way wins. Life over death, love over hate, light over darkness, reconciling even gardeners and knights together. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now you and I are invited to this table. It is in many ways a ritual, but it can be for you and me a means of waking up, seeing again, committing again to this work of love that Jesus in his body and blood, represented by this bread and cup, gives to the world to nourish our souls. All are invited who are Christ's followers this day. Let us prepare now to come to the table of the Lord. As we stand and with friends and strangers around us, say these words. May the peace of Christ be with you and also with you.